Hi, everyone. I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Humata. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. So, Frank, I want to let our listeners in on a big secret. Ooh, suspense. All right. So maybe it's really not that big. Sorry to disappoint. I'll just, I'll go ahead and put it out there. Membership dues alone can no longer keep associations afloat. I mean, there's honestly nothing groundbreaking there. But in other words, like most successful businesses, smart associations must look to diversify their revenue streams. So, oh, wait, hold on. Dang it. I'm sorry, Frank. I'm getting a text. No, it's okay. Oh, I see. It's from you. Just read it. Okay. Hey, Frank, what did you have for breakfast today? Well, Colby, I thought you'd never ask. I had a delicious bowl of frosted flakes. Uh, They're pretty good. A fresh Einstein bagel with a generous spread of Peter Pan peanut butter. And don't you have another question for me? Oh, do I? Uh, Hold on. Oh, okay. That sounds delicious, Frank. What did you have next to wash it down? Colby, you're asking all the hard-hitting questions today. Uh, So what I had next was a tall glass of refreshing Simply Orange orange juice to quench my thirst. Hey, hey Frank, are you desperately trying to get sponsors for our podcast again? I mean, I like the direction you're going, but, you know, we're we're kind of in the middle of a recording here. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay. So I admire your persistence or whatever the heck that was. You know, let's get back to the recording, right? So our guest today has a passion about sharing ideas on how associations can provide better value for sponsors while generating non-dues revenue. Because the more you develop a strategic non-dues revenue program, the more fiscally sound your association will be. I mean, this is both short-term and long-term. And while non-dues revenue is essential for associations, sometimes coming up with creative ideas that's a win for the association, the sponsor, and even the, the industry is somewhat challenging. So what you're really trying to say is that my my breakfast angle wasn't creative enough. So let's hear what our loyal listeners have to say in our T-Mobile question of the week. What are some of your most favorite non-dues revenue ideas? Text the word Frank to 758-64. Okay. All right. All right. Text the keyword Frank. You've always wanted to be a keyword, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So rather than, than keep this going, let's have our guest share her knowledge on the subject. Today, we're joined by Terry Carden. She is an association junkie and self-proclaimed girl geek and normal girls clothing. She created ReviewMyAMS.com, which is a trusted site for executives to provide end-user reviews of their association management systems. And while continuing to manage the platform, she also focuses on running 100 reviews, which is a tool that allows associations to spin up their own review sites to generate revenue and deliver value to their members. Terry is an early adopter, a disruptor, an explorer, a mom, and brainchild of the Non-Dooza-Palooza event that we'll touch on during this episode. So welcome to the podcast, Terry. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. I'm really excited. Glad to have you. So let's just go ahead and put it all out there right away, right here in the beginning of the podcast. While we've harped on it for years, the last couple of years have really drilled home that revenue from membership dues alone cannot keep an, an association afloat. And this is regardless of the size or the structure of the organization. And that's really where non-dues revenue comes into play. 
So Terry, in your opinion, why is it important for an association to have a strategic non-dues revenue plan? So let's just jump in um, to something that is not foreign to associations, and that is being strapped for dollars. (laughs) Um, Associations have always been, it seems like, if I go back to even my uh, early association career days about 15 plus years ago or so now, I can't believe I'm saying that out loud, Um, (laughs) that we have always had to do more with less, it seems like. And, you know, the last two years, um, associations have only grown hungrier for non-dues revenue due to what has happened with our portfolios, you know, portfolios of where revenue comes in. Um, If it wasn't super diverse before, (laughs) they're really trying to figure out how to diversify those portfolios now. And I know using terms like portfolio sounds so business-like, right? Right. But today, I'm definitely going to throw in some business terms here um, because really we should be treating our associations and our organizations and our budgets like real businesses do. And we should be depending more on technology and how we can implement these new um, non-dues revenue ideas into our plans, but do it in a way that is strategic to go back to the question at hand here. How, you know, does an association take a new non-dues revenue idea and weave it into the DNA of the organization? And how does the association create a new plan or a new, a new benefit for members that is good for everybody, right? So the best non-dues revenue ideas are ones that are a win, win, win. And you might be like, okay, Terry, we know it's good for the members. Okay. That's one win. The second win, you guys know this is it's good for the association, right? Because it's actually generating revenue, but where the third win comes in is with sponsors. And I think we're going to dig a little deeper on sponsors later, but that's where that trifecta comes in is that if it's good for your members, it's going to be good for your sponsors. So all three of those, you know, are ways that you can tie a new non-dues revenue idea to the strategy But what's been so interesting is there's so many ideas floating around. We're working on um, here at the Nandusapalooza headquarters, we're working on a a resource and the resource now has over 300 ideas of Nandus revenue ideas and associations are just clamoring at these ideas, right? And some of the ideas are so far off of the DNA and the mission of the organization though, but associations are really desperate to try them. So I guess I would just say it's really important for associations to not derail too much from who they are and look at how the new non-dues revenue idea can benefit their existing members and not sabotage anything else they have going on. And I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head too, that non-dues revenue is no longer an afterthought for the association. It's definitely part of all the planning that they're, they're doing now. How are they, how are they going to make their money? How are they going to make their bills? And uh, non-dues revenue is certainly uh, part of that answer. And something you talked about is doing a lot with a little, right? So how has the current workforce affected bringing on new non-dues revenue ideas? 
Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, we had pandemic where we had to use all those words, you know, like pivot and reimagine, (laughs) you know, words that we should have adopted long before, you know, the pandemic, but now we're dealing with a ripple effect of the pandemic, which is this great migration or the workforce just looks so different than it did two, three years ago. And I do a session, this really, my eyes were opened to how the workforce is impacting us all the way down to the new ideas, strategic level. When I was doing a session in front of an association exec audience a couple months ago. So I was um, doing a session that I've done several times before I've actually produced a session. I don't know, 10 times, maybe. So the format of the session is that we, uh, I present a new idea. It's called um, new ideas, not your grandma's non-dues revenue. Okay. That's that. That's the name of the session. Okay. Nice. I like the title. (laughs) And so um, I'll present XYZ number of ideas throughout the presentation and the whole, you know, depending on how much time I have, I might present five, I might present eight, I might present 10, but one way or another, the format of the session is that I'll present the idea. And then I'll present an association that's actually implemented this idea. And if it makes sense, share the the revenue model and how much or how much revenue has been generated with this idea. And then the third part of this idea is that the audience actually gets to weigh in on the level of effort that they think it would take to implement this idea. The, the format works really well because you get audience participation, you get their wheels start turning around, you know, okay, well, how much would it really take? How big of a lift is it for us to implement this idea? And (laughs) they're all over the map, right? I mean, I've got ideas that are pretty intense, heavy budget, heavy, and, you know, strategy heavy, Uh, you know, you'd have to beta this to put it in the market and, you know, all that good stuff. And then some are just, you know, a click of a button, you know, and this new idea is implemented. And I'll say that um, level of effort over the last three years that I've been producing this content and sharing it with association execs has become paramount. Execs are now looking for ideas that are easy to put into action because they don't have the labor. They don't have the bandwidth or the resources on the human side to add anything new. So it's almost like it doesn't matter how innovative the association is anymore. It almost doesn't matter what the leadership style is like about adopting new ideas. It's that they don't have the bandwidth to do the heavy lifting ideas. And so the ones that are the house favorites (laughs) are, of course, the ones that are those click of a button or, you know, let's just figure something out with a partner that we're you know, producing this with, let them do all the heavy lifting. So that freemium model is really taking off even more than it had, you know, before the pandemic, um, because associations really love the idea of, you know, a partner doing the heavy lifting or doing a lot of the work with them bringing in even just a percentage of the revenue, um, a model you guys are familiar with, I know, or just new products and services or benefits that they're giving to members that are just easy to implement without a lot of heavy lifting. So definitely workforce is affecting us on the front lines. And, and I will go as far to say, I hadn't said this out loud yet, but 
I think that it's going to be a hindrance to how associations can get, be innovative. Now we're, instead of being innovative with the products and services that we're putting in front of our members, we have to get invent, innovative at how we can market those and getting more targeted about who we're targeting those to so that it makes more sense for us. So Terry, after two years of virtual events, how should associations re-engage with their sponsors? <laughs> so let's just back up here <laughs> and talk about what the heck um, happened to our sponsors. You know, if you're in um, in-person events prior to the pandemic and now you're just picking up the phone to call on those sponsors because your in-person event is back. Uh, you are going to have a rude awakening (laughs) and thank goodness. None of your listeners have done that. Okay. But trust me, there are lots of associations out there that are experiencing this where they sort of dried up their communications over the, the last two years with their sponsors. And now they're expecting to go back to that. Well, And they are not finding the same sponsors on the other side of the pandemic. So sponsors got really smart. So these are companies, if you think about it for just a minute, these are the same companies that the reason why they sponsored with you before is that your members are their audience. So if we think about how they can find that same audience, but through a different way than your association, I promise you, if you haven't provided that to them through over the last two years, they figured it out on their own or they went out of business. So this is why the engagement with sponsors is so important. And hopefully that happened with most associations through virtual events over the pandemic. But the other thing that it did was it, it showed us as associations that it does not take much to get competition alive and piping up in the marketplace. Now the sponsors that were coming to us to be the content creators and to bring the audiences are bringing their own audiences through their own content, through their own list finding, um, through their own offerings to the exact same audience that we were putting at our conferences over all these last years. And guess what? They're offering it for like no money. They're even paying some people to come to their stuff. You know, I mean, how can associations compete with that? So what association, how associations can compete with that is I would say number one is like transparency and communication. The worst thing that you can do with your sponsors is stop communicating with them or the next time you communicate with them, it be about collecting some money, right? We don't want this to be. So how can we engage sponsors over a longer period of time? And that's through year long, you know, models or year long sponsorship strategies where they're involved with lots of things, you know, over time. Um, It was funny because I'm coaching an association exec right now who's in the incubator experiment uh, for Nandusapalooza. And she was so excited because they started doing webinars, which Sorry, but that word webinar is so 2019. Can we come up with a different word for webinar? Like I call mine expert series now. So we don't even use that W word, but she was really excited because over the last six to nine months, they were able to implement a new webinar series for their members and their members are loving it. They're attending it and 
since they've got the numbers now, they were able to go to a sponsor and say, hey, would you like to sponsor next month's webinar? Well, of course, the sponsor steps up and says, yeah, we'll throw 500 bucks, thousand bucks at this, you know, and we'll help be the thought leaders, right? Well, me and my other coach that was on this call with her prompted her to say, hey, you got them for one webinar. What's stopping you from getting them for six webinars throughout the year at a discounted price, right? So now instead of them paying $3,000 for six, you pay, you charge them $2,500 for six webinars. So they get a discount. They get access to your members as a thought leader all year long or for the next, you know, let's pretend it's every other month. Let's think a little differently about how we can engage with our sponsors in a year round long, you know, making impact and make, and having communications. And I think that's how associations should approach sponsors. Bruce Rosenthal will also tell you kind of there's three, he runs the PPN, the Partnership and Professionals Network. And he, um, he'll tell you that sponsors want one of three things. They either want leads, they want thought leadership, or they want brand awareness. And very rarely it's just one of those. And very rarely it's just brand awareness. You know, the sponsors are putting their dollars for a reason, right? They want to be held out as a thought leader um, so that they can cross promote content to their other audiences that they have, that they get your stamp of approval, you know, saying that the association wants to share your content or their content with their audience gives a really strong stamp of approval on that content. And so they may want to be held out as a thought leader, but it's really evolving like from a competitor standpoint of the association is also evolving. If we can get smarter and give them something more than what they could do themselves. Now I'll say that all the time. So associations are, and I'll shut up after this, after the statement, but you know, associations, what they're trying to do is especially trade associations, a, a company can do a lot by itself. So the association ultimately needs to provide something to its members that the member couldn't do for itself. Like that's super powerful. That, that, is, that is the power of associations right there is that the association is able to move the needle within an industry on something that an individual member would not be able to do for itself. And you might be saying, okay, Terry, that's great. Yeah, I get that. Especially Frank and Colby, you, you get this. You got the t-shirt on that one. You understand how associations work, but let's think about this in the copy paste version of sponsorships. We as associations, how we're going to get that next leg up is if we can provide more for the sponsor when the, than what the sponsor could individually provide for themselves. And that's where the golden ticket is. That's what the silver bullet's going to be for how associations can keep their sponsors retained. And I, okay, I said I was going to shut up after that statement, but I really <laughs> have one more golden nugget I just have to share. So if you have sponsors that are super engaged and are just like, you know, like it's like ladies night, you know, they're just constantly throwing their dollars at you. They're the number one person you think of whenever you have something new, you want to just pick up the phone and call, say, Hey, would you be interested in, in this? You definitely need to have a short list of your most valuable sponsors and you need to engage with them in ways that they never expected you would engage with them. And here's an example. Last week I talked to a sponsor and she was helping someone else out that was an association exec in a non-dues revenue way. 
And I saw it all unfold in front of my eyes. And I just picked up my phone and I ran a quick little video message. And I just said, Hey, I just want to say thanks for your commitment to this industry. It means a lot. And you hit send and you send that message off. And now what is the, like, what's the feeling that she has toward the, the entire program that I have? And, you know, it's kind of like this old saying, my friend, Tom Morrison, he'll say, you know, he's got a son and he says, um, Thomas is always calling me for money. You know, like, okay, this is what kids do. All right. They call you and they ask for money. It's like, anytime you hear from your kid, it's about money. And finally, Thomas is like 22 years old. And he says to Thomas, all right, Thomas, I'm tired of the only time you call is when you want money, you want something. He said, here's a new rule. You have to reach out to me, text, email, video, call, whatever it is. You have to reach out to me 10 times before you can ask for money again. And it can't be about money. It has to be about something else. And I'm like, yes, that is pure gold when it comes to how we're communicating with our sponsors as well. Yeah, that, that's that's powerful advice. Not only sponsored, but for kids. I'm going to try that myself. And see how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of what you just said kind of segues into my next question for you. You know, I think when an association exec is, is sitting down in a strategic planning meeting and the idea of putting together a non-dues revenue plan from scratch is kind of put on the table or, or even, you know, simply enhancing an existing plan. There's this overwhelming task at hand, I would assume that could be pretty daunting, right? But the three of us know, I mean, Frank and I have these conversations all the time as I'm sure you do too, but associations have a ton of assets that can be monetized almost immediately. Mm. You brought up some in the, in the last answer. What are some other ways an association can take these existing assets and create a strong non-dues revenue plan? So um, <laughs> associations, if they just stopped and looked around at the assets that they have, I mean, they haven't just been spinning their wheels for the last 45 years. There is so much good content and there is so much I mean, the advocacy efforts and you know, associations do a lot. So um, I'll tell you the example. I actually give this in that presentation I was talking about. This is one of my, my ideas that I share in, in the new ideas, not your grandma's not on dues revenue. And you might be thinking, okay, well, monetizing the same things that I have on my shelf doesn't really seem all that innovative or new. No, but it's easy because you have already done the hard part, which is create the thing, right? Now you just get to put a price tag on it. So um, one of the ideas that I present um, in my session is a case study by the Virginia Realtors Association, VAR. Um, Virginia, Virginia Association of Realtors, this probably happened, oh, a long time ago, years ago, years and years ago. Um, I knew somebody that was on staff there and they looked around at all the assets they had on their website. And the one resource that they found that was the most pinged resource of all of them was this forms community. They had a, an online community and in their online community, you had to be a member in order to access these resources in the resource center of the online community. Okay. You following me? And so their members were like 3000 times more than any other asset on any of their web assets going to this forms section. And the reason why is because whenever you go to sell a house, you have to have the most updated forms, right? 
Well, VAR's responsibility to their members was to provide the most updated forms. So anytime anybody was going to get a, buy a house, you went to the forms section of the community, you downloaded the forms and you went about your merry way. So it didn't even matter if there was friction, like a login. So some people will say like, oh, don't put it behind the login wall. Guess what? This was behind the login wall. Okay. And it was still accessed more than any of the other ungated content that was on the website. And it's because it was a value to the member. The member had to have access to this in order to do their job well, right? Well, one day they go, okay, well, in the last week, this, um, I'm going to make up some numbers here, but in the last week, this resource library was hit 10,000 times. Like, whoa, okay. That's basically what the Nashville market is doing right now, by the way. <laughs> like the, the Nashville market would look a lot like that. <laughs> like 10,000 homes sold in one week. Yeah, that's probably for real. So let's pretend those numbers. So the VAR decided, wow, there's a huge opportunity for a sponsor to be in front of this audience every single time. And as you know, a member goes to download. So they went to one of their sponsors and said, Hey, would you like to be the sponsor of this form center? And the sponsor's like, heck yeah, for $10,000 a year, I'll do that. So now the form center was sponsored by so-and-so how simple this already existed. All they had to go in and do was update the actual name of the group in the online community. Mm-hmm. The harder part was actually probably collecting the $10,000 from the sponsor, which probably is run through some sort of online credit card portal or something. That was harder than, than even just changing the name. So there's a lot of low hanging op- fruit opportunities that associations, if they just looked around at what assets their members are accessing the most, then see if they can monetize, if it makes sense to monetize it, go for it. Yeah, I think that's great too, because, you know, these associations are constantly putting together reports about the most accessed section of their website, the most accessed article on their magazine website, Mm, all this information, mm -hmm. they put all these, these numbers together and, you know, they use it for, you know, board reports or whatever it is. They need to be using it to take a look at exactly what you're describing here, exactly what VAR is doing. Are there sections of the website? Are there pieces of content? Are there webinars that are out there that are getting the most views, the most downloads, whatever? And there's your assets right there without having to go through all of this, you know, what should we do here? What should we do? Well, it's, it's all here in the data for you already. Mm-hmm. You're already mm-hmm. doing the work to find it. So now monetize it. So I, I think that's a great example. That's a great example of an opportunity that already existed. What I'm curious about is what's the most creative non dues revenue plan you've seen? Oh, Frank, really good question. So back to that, uh, that session that I do with all your, not your grandma's non dues revenue ideas. Um, I won't exhaust all of those on this call today, but I will share a couple of fan favorites. The most recent one, a couple that I have actually implemented myself um, running events is, um, so one of them is stage time. So a lot of times your, your sponsors or people that are coming to your events as a, as a company, they want to be in front of the audience. And sometimes that doesn't always make sense. Sometimes what you need in front of the audience are the members, right? And so there's often a kind of a, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you let the sponsor be on the stage or do you let the, have, the, have the content be produced by people within industry? 
Well, one of the ideas I've had recently is we can have our cake and eat it too. So we can actually have someone on stage that is moderating a discussion where they are held out kind of as a thought leader as well, all while talking alongside the member or the the person within industry. And it's based on some facilitated questions. And so um, I have two sessions at Nondusapalooza that are going to be sponsored by people that will be the ones asking the questions, which is super cool. Kind of the same idea, but a different format is the cohort. So the cohorts uh, are small groups of members that have a special interest in a certain topic. So a lot of associations have like SIGs or, you know, special interest groups. We're thinking even more granularly than that. So we're thinking, take a SIG and then take a specific thing that a SIG focuses on. Let's pretend like right now I'm totally absorbed in the van life community. Okay. So this is my world right now that I'm sinking my teeth in that I know nothing about the van life. So I even went to a van life related conference last week, believe it or not. And one of the areas that I would have loved to participate in a small group is around women who are traveling by themselves or around people who have to work and be on the, on the road at the same time, you know, how are they staying connected, you know, through connectivity, right? So this is a very small group. Well, how cool would it be if you had a small group of people that gathered, let's pretend every other Friday for 60 minutes over zoom to talk about, you know, their woes of staying connected on the road or their woes of being a solo on the road or whatever the case is, you know, whatever, like your association's members are talking about things that are very different than that, I'm sure, and way more important than that, but you get it. It's something that's relevant to their day-to-day lives. And what if you got a sponsor to sponsor that call every other week, then what happens is you have a sponsor who's being held out as someone who really cares about the community, you have someone that is keeping their ear to the ground about what's happening. So then at their company, they can sort of pivot and maneuver their own products and services so that they're serving the industry in a right way, in a way that's relevant to what's actually happening on the ground floor. So those are two really cool ideas that you could do around sort of events. A couple of other ideas. Well, I'll just share one more for the sake of time, but where our associations are already serving their members, right? We're surveying the heck out of our members. And honestly, I couldn't even tell you the last time that I filled out one of those 30 minute surveys, like Terry, just don't, don't do that. Right. We, we (laughs) try to stay away from things that take up that much of your time, unless I have just a really blatantly strong opinion about it. Don't go read my last Airbnb review, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so associations are already surveying their members. Is there an opportunity for you to go to a sponsor and say, hey, listen, we know that there is relevant information that you could get from our members that would matter to your business. Is there a question that you would like to sponsor? Wow, that's kind of cool. Now, all of a sudden- you're being exposed to something that your company, the company uh, members care about, and it gets dropped within your survey, whether it's a 30 minute survey, or it's just a one question survey, either way, those questions are going out the door regardless. So what if you got one of the questions sponsored, and then you gave that feedback back to that company so that they had access to that information of what's happening in industry? That's great. That's actually something I've never, I've never really thought of. You know, I remember hearing from Alan DeYoung 
from the Wisconsin EMS mm -hmm. Association about how, how his organization monetizes everything, <laughs> yeah. right? including a, a beef jerky discount for his members. I mean, I, this guy shared so many great ideas. And the one I walked away with and the one I talk about the most was how he received non-dues revenue from beef jerky sales. But look, the revenue's out there and you have to be creative very much like Alan and don't be afraid to ask for revenue to come back to your organization when you create partnerships. And what you're describing here is you know, just thinking outside of the box, the revenue is there. It's in front of you. It's just what you decide that you can pull out and, and monetize. I think the survey question is an excellent idea. So Terry, this brings me to our next segment of the podcast. There's this great event coming up in September <laughs> that you've put together and you've referenced it a little bit. It's called non Dusa palooza I believe it's September 21st and 22nd. Mm -hmm. in Nashville at the City Winery, which in itself should get people to come, right? <laughs> we were a part of it last year. We're a part of it again this year. And we were absolutely blown away by the caliber of sessions and speakers. And just by the people who were there wanting to learn more about what works in non-dues revenue. So this is the second in-person non-dues-a-palooza, mm -hmm. although I know you've put on your know, monthly series and your first year was disrupted by what disrupted everyone in, <laughs> in 2020. So tell us what prompted you to start this event? Well, first of all, Colby, thanks for saying those ni nice things. You know, the first couple of years you run an event, it is truly a labor of love. Um, I think I'm just a straight up glutton for punishment and I can't shake those association event, you know, I uh, can't just can't shake it off. You know, it seems to keep sticking with me, <laughs> but the reason why it works is because there's such a need in the marketplace for ideas and for people to be talking about the hard conversation, which is money, you know, money. I don't care if it's with your life partner, it's a tough conversation let alone bring a board into the whole thing, you know, it gets right. trickier and people's lives who are on staff. And so this can be a really tough conversation, but the whole point of Nandusapalooza is so that associations can be opened up to new ideas, the laws that support these ideas, um, the associations that are already implement, have already implemented these ideas and are willing to share and how those ideas can actually help mission-driven organizations move their needle forward. If you're a curious association executive, and that sounds like music to your ears, plus a little bit of fun hanging out with <laughs> Frank and Colby and Terry and Nashville, Tennessee, then Nandusapalooza is definitely a place, a place for you. And one of the most interesting sessions at the event last year was the incubator talk. And I know it's back again this year. So tell us about your experience with the session. Uh, what is it and what do you hope attendees get out of it? Yeah, so the incubator experiment is something that kind of sort of sprung out of a last minute conversation with one of the speakers on our expert series in February of 2021. So he's a data nerd. Um, he's an association data nerd, as a matter of fact. And he was sharing his session, his content on how there is gold in the data that we have at our associations, but we're not really, really using it. So we're doing our kind of like our dry run. And he said, Terry, what if there's something more that we could do here? What if for the conference in September, you like, what if on this session today, we post 
to, to all the execs that are there. Hey, raise your hand. If you want to be coached by Terry and me, this is Thad Lurie, by the way. Um, if you want to be coached by Thad and Terry for the next six months and then appear on stage for us. And I was like, Thad, that's brilliant. I love this idea. Would you really commit this much time to doing this? And they was like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, okay, well, two execs raise their hand. And, um, we coached them, you know, every couple of weeks we created a journal and we journaled all of our, you know, all the, the, the activities that happened over the six to nine months. And it was super cool. Cause one of the execs was able to get on stage in September and talk about the challenges and talk about the celebrations. And one of the things we all got to celebrate with her is that through the incubator experiment, they had already generated like $50,000 in revenue for their organization oh. in just a short time. And I keep in touch with her. And I, I got to have coffee with her as a matter of fact, not that long ago. And I think they're over a hundred thousand dollars in revenue with this program that we came up with just on a whim. So you can't just let that go. You know, <laughs> I like, you got to do this again and again and again. And so this year we have four execs who have stepped up to be a part of the incubator experiment. And we are coaching them. Uh, as a matter of fact, I normally take Fridays off or like use it as my catch up day. Let's be real. And every Friday for 90 minutes, uh, me and Joanna, Joanna with Bespeak has um, ponied up to help sponsor this, the incubator experiment this year. And she and I get on a 90 minute coaching call with two of the execs every other Friday, we're meeting with these execs and helping them, you know, propel their missions forward. And it's super rewarding part of the non Palooza community. That's awesome. So Terry, hypothetically, let's say I'm an association exec on the fence about taking the time out of my busy schedule to attend non Palooza. Besides hanging out with the three of us, why should I be there? <laughs> well, you know, like I said, if the bottom line matters to you, you should be there really at the end of the day. If Bruce Rosenthal actually posted something on LinkedIn the other day, and he said, if you've got all the non-dues revenue that you could possibly need, you don't need to go to this event. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> I tell people, I said, listen, come to Nashville. It's $0 for association execs to attend. So wow. I never want the doll, the price tag to be something that holds the exec back. Will it always be a $0 for associations to attend? I don't really know that. Probably not. But this year it is. And we're in a really fun venue. Um, the content is seriously like nothing I've ever pulled together before. I'm super excited from the top to the bottom and all the case studies and incubator experiment stuff in between. It's going to be an incredible day. We are actually getting kicked off too with a full workshop day. And those workshops are not free. They are $4.99, but it is going to be a time that you, you will not regret. I tell execs, and this was going to start, I started to say, is I going to go, but I tell execs, if you don't walk away from Nashville, with at least one good idea, you partied way too hard the night before. <laughs> like, you're going to walk away with a bunch of new ideas and a bunch of new industry friends um, having had a good time around a serious fun around a serious topic. Thanks, Terry. Really appreciate you being a part of today's discussion. Now, we'd like to put you in the hot seat one last time for the final segment we like to call the Briefings Minute. We're going to fire off a minute worth of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So give us the first answer that comes to mind. Buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> Not that I'm curious or anything, but what's the best bar in Nashville? Oh, okay. So my favorite bar in Nashville is called Old Glory. 
It is a refurbished, recreated, a laundry facility. And it is down in kind of like this deep, dark cave looking space that they have nightlights and all this good stuff. But the cocktails are awesome. So Old Glory is like where I'd say to go if you wanted a good cocktail on a hot summer day. I'm writing this down. <laughs> Noted. So growing up, Terry, who is your childhood celebrity crush? Oh, uh, no doubt it was Joey from New Kids on the Block. (laughs) (laughs) I also was kind of secretly in love with Reggie Miller with the Pacers. Oh, I was a big basketball fan, double zero here, so. What's an ideal summer day for you? Oh, well, I, that's super easy because I just had got to have a fabulous summer day or summer weekend here in Nashville. So on Saturday night, after a relaxing day, I was getting caught up from with laundry and all of the things, what, what happens when you've been on the road for five weeks. After all those household chores, we went to the Nashville Zoo and we walked around the light exhibits that they have going on at night. And then first thing Sunday, went and took the kayaks out on the lake and threw the fishing pole in and listened to some country music (laughs) and hung out on the water. It was a perfect day. I like that. That sounds great. (laughs) So would you rather be invited to the Grammys, the CMT Awards, or the MTV Music Awards? It's probably CMT. It's a little close to home. But all those people put their pants on the same way that we do, guys. So those are really (laughs) (laughs) the show. (laughs) The world wants to know, what's the greatest sitcom of all time? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm actually not a big TV person. So if you put, instead of sitcom, I mean, everybody would say like Seinfeld or Sex and the City, right? But if you exchanged, if you exchanged um, sitcom with uh, reality TV, no doubt it would be Survivor. I want to be on Survivor so bad. <laughs> Someone call Jeff Probst now. <laughs> yeah, y'all got connections, right? <laughs> Somebody told me one day, you're not going to, you're not that interesting enough to be on Survivor. I was Ouch. like, I don't know whether that's a compliment. Or- <laughs> <laughs> so Terry, what's the hardest part about putting on an event that people may not realize? Um, probably logistics and marketing and getting butts and seats. Really? That's, you know, it's kind of, it's, there's a grind to it for sure. Um, but thank God, I've got just an amazing team that, that helps with all the, the parts that I don't love the most. Now, Terry, would you rather be running 20 minutes late to dinner or be an hour early? Oh, I would much rather be an hour early. But the reality is I'm probably going to be more like 12 minutes late to dinner. <laughs> 20, is, 20 is a little bit of a stretch, but like five, eight minutes is probably more the more likely. <laughs> Call it a compromise. So which which cartoon character do you best relate to? Oh, like I really want some pizza for lunch right now. So can I just say like Garfield or something like that? <laughs> that works. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, something with pizza. Yeah. Got it. And for someone who's never tried it, is Nashville hot really that hot? Oh, yeah. Okay. Come on. I'll show you some Nashville hot chicken if you want to try it. Okay. Um, party foul. 
they I've never even tried their hottest because their medium is almost too hot for me and I love spicy food one of my favorite sayings is this girl she's gonna wear high heels and eat spicy food till she can't anymore because someday she won't be able to so I love spicy food but it's even party fouls medium is almost too hot challenge accepted yeah mm -hmm. so if you didn't work in the association world what would your hypothetical dream job be so I do I do have aspirations for after all of my association craziness is is kind of coming to an end. Um, who knows when that will be? Um, hopefully not for a very long time. But, you know, I'd also be lying if I said someday that I didn't hope to, you know, sell my businesses so that somebody else can evolve them to do something bigger and better and greater. It's not a secret. Okay. I'm even open to say this, saying this on a podcast, but it all comes because my true passion would be to help women in technology, especially women in nonprofit technology. So I want to create some sort of nonprofit or some sort of foundation that helps women who are entrepreneurs or have the entrepreneurial mindset to get started. I have people in my immediate network, both men and women, that have been invaluable to the successes that I've had so far. And my core value is you have to take care of the people that take care of you. So I'm hoping one day I get to give back to women in technology and, and, uh, and do something like that. That's a great cause. I love it. <laughs> and that's the buzzer. Hey, thanks again for joining us, Terry. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association space. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings and how we can help you produce a podcast that's sure to bring in some additional non-twos revenue, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com slash podcasts. See you next time, everyone. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, y'all.